right, well, last week we, we finished up the book of Philippians. For those of you who missed that, we're sorry you missed that. It was a, a great time, and you can always get these messages. And we know a lot of people are uh, um, listening to our messages online. I think Greg tracks that, and Jared's seen that, and we're glad you do. And you can go to our website, gbt, gbctx.org, and click on that and catch up with what maybe what you missed. But what a great book, what a great letter, what a great encouragement, also challenge. Um, in that wonderful letter, and I was my own soul was very blessed just by having the privilege to study through that and then teach that, and my prayer is yours was as well. Well, you're saying, what next? Well, I'm still praying about that. I've gotten some suggestions. We're going to have a couple of weeks here where we're going to do some standalone messages, and then I'll kind of let you know as I, we continue to pray through this what will be the next book that we go through. Um, and uh, I, I do appreciate your input, and, and if you've got something you want to go through, like Leviticus, everybody's favorite devotional material, uh, just let me know. Um, but you might be surprised what's in Leviticus, and it's actually a, a great uh, worship book. Um, it's kind of a worship manual in some ways. But this morning, uh, based upon, not only did we finish up Philippians last week, we also celebrated what? The Lord's Supper, right? One of the two ordinances, okay, an ordinance is a command, an order given by the Lord Jesus Christ. There's two things that he gave the church to do together, all right, that were outward symbols of inward realities. And one of those was the Lord's Supper, and we celebrated that last week. Well, the other one is baptism, okay? And uh, so I thought it would be um, wise to look at this other ordinance, this other command that Lord Jesus gave us as a church, which is baptism. Now, many of you have been here for a while. You've heard me preach on baptism before. Uh, maybe you haven't heard me preach on baptism, but either way, we always need to be reminded about these great truths in the Word of God. And uh, we're not going to be necessarily looking at one particular passage. We're going to look at a few different passages, and I'll explain those passages and how they relate to baptism. Um, but let, let, let me ask you a question as we begin here. What is the source of your authority as to what you believe? What's the source of your authority? And even more specifically, what's your source of authority as to what you believe about baptism? Is it tradition? Or is it the Word of God? All right, I want you to think about that. Uh, and there's nothing wrong with traditions. There's nothing wrong with having traditions as long as they don't conflict with the Word of God. And there's many things that are, that are not principles, but they're preferences, right? Whether or not we sing a newer version of uh, Be Thou My Vision or we sing the older version, which maybe even have an older version than you could even think of, Right? Those are preferences. Those aren't principles. Those aren't issues that, we, that, that, that are clear in Scripture. Okay, you can't change the melody of Be Thou Thou My Vision. It wasn't even written, of course, in the Scripture. All right? But those are, those are preferences. But there's principle issues that we need to make sure that we understand what the Word of God has to say. And, and my fear is, is that many people, what they believe about many things that they have practiced and known all their life are not based on the Scripture. We all got to examine our hearts on these things to make sure that we base our beliefs on what the Word of God says, not what we grew up with. I've had to make, look back at my own life and make changes based upon what the Word of God says, not what I thought it said or what I hoped it said or what I saw practiced, but what is actually taught in the Word of God. And, and baptism is no different. And the Word of God, I believe, is absolutely clear when it comes to the issue of baptism. The Word of God is. Tradition may not be, but just so you know, I really don't care what tradition says if it doesn't line up with the word of God. Now, I'm not trying to be insensitive, but we need to know. We've got to understand that our foundation to what we believe has to be found in the word of God, and, and God is clear in his word. So uh, we're going to look at some past scripture. I'm going to kind of guide us through this by answering three questions about biblical baptism. Uh, and those three questions, if you want to take notes, these are the three questions that, that we'll cover. Um, uh, first of all, what is baptism? What is baptism? Secondly, why be baptized? Why be baptized? And thirdly, who is to be baptized? So what is baptism? Why be baptized? And who is to be baptized? Uh, and let me also say that in one message, I may not cover every single question you have about baptism. In fact, I'm sure I won't. Uh, but I think I'm going to cover a lot. Uh, uh, that, you, that Maybe some questions you have. Maybe some qu questions you've had. And boy, I never knew that. And maybe they'll spur some other questions. And I want to wel I welcome you to come uh, and, and talk to me about these things and say, you know, I've got some other questions. And, and you and I will sit down with the, with the Word of God and we'll look at what the Bible has to say and, and answer those questions you may have about baptism. But let's begin first here by answering this first question. 
what is baptism? So to begin answering this, this question, what is baptism, we need to first examine the mode of baptism. The mode of baptism. Uh, the scripture speaks of different types of baptism. So the word baptism is found throughout the scripture, and there are different types of baptism spoken of in the scripture, and it's important for us to understand uh, bapti- the, these different kinds of baptism. First is spirit baptism, as you find in 1 Corinthians twelve thirteen, and this happens at conversion, when someone is born again. We're baptized, it says, into the Spirit. We're all baptized into the Spirit as believers. There's also fire baptism. Uh, Matthew 3 and Luke 3 um, uh, talk about this. And this is a baptism of judgment for unbelief. And this is sometimes what the apostles want to call down on everybody. Give them the fire baptism, right? Uh, And take care of them, judge them. Uh, Also, you have the baptism of death. Um, And and Jesus spoke of a baptism. Listen to this. A baptism, he said... I still have a baptism I must undergo. But he had already been water baptized when he said this. So he wasn't talking about baptism. In the sense of water baptism, he was talking about his death. To be identified with death completely is what he was speaking of. So there's a baptism of death. And when we become Christians, we also identify with the baptism of death. Because we die to self and are given new life. Uh, next, water baptism. And that's what we want to speak about this morning, is water baptism. So you've got to make sure that you're looking at the word baptism uh, in Scripture, that you, you understand the context, so you understand, is it talking about water baptism? Is it talking about spirit baptism? Is it talking about fire baptism? Is it talking about the baptism of death? Uh, so what constitutes water baptism? What mode or method of water baptism does the Bible teach? Let me say that again. What mode or method... Of water baptism does the Bible teach? So to answer this question, we need to answer this question. We need to ask another question: Where do we get the word baptism? Where does that word come from? Where well, it is a Greek word, and it comes from a word that we just transliterate into baptism, baptizo. It's easy to see where we get the word baptism. All right, and the word baptizo means to immerse. Uh, it was used when describing the action of a blacksmith tempering his steel all right you ever seen this happen if you go to old you know you go to like old settlements and stuff and they have all dressed up and they'll have a blacksmith and they're working with iron or steel and then they're and they're they put it in the fire and get it real hot and then they submerge it in water to cool it down enough and then they begin to work with it all right so the word was used for that is also used for dyeing pieces of material okay so if you want to dye a piece of material you have to submerge it in the dye now, this is not tie-dye where you just dip a few little pieces in there, okay? This is dyeing a, a piece of material one color and just dip the whole thing in uh, the, the dyeing liquid, okay? Uh, the, the, the noun form of baptizo is always used in the book of Acts to refer to a Christian being immersed underwater. Let me say that again. The noun form of this word baptizo is always used in the book of Acts to refer to a Christian being immersed underwater. Okay, let me ask this question that maybe you're thinking. What about sprinkling? What about sprinkling? Well, there's a different word in the Greek for the word sprinkling, and it's never used in reference to baptism in all of the Bible. And let me say that again. There's a different word for the word sprinkling, Greek word, that's never used for baptism or water baptism in the Bible. There's no such thing as a ceremony of sprinkling in the Bible that's equated to baptism. Now, some people may be getting a little edgy, and I understand that, and I understand where you're coming from. We'll talk about that here in a few minutes. But not only does the definition of baptism point to immersion, but the context of the passage about wa- pa- passages about water t- baptism also clearly point that baptism is immersion. The context, what do I mean by that? Those being baptized go into the water. Jesus come, came out of the water when he was baptized, it says. Okay, came up out of the water. Uh, look what it says in John 3.23. John also was baptizing in Anon near Salem because there was much water there and people were coming and were being baptized. Why would there be an emphasis of there was because there was much water if all you needed is a little bit? To sprinkle. There was much water. And this is, an em- this is emphasized in John chapter 3. There was much water. When Philip baptized 
the Ethiopian eunuch in Acts chapter 8, it says they both went down into the water. Why didn't Philip just go down and get a little cup of water and bring it out and sprinkle on the Ethiopian eunuch if it's just sprinkling? You see that the context speaks about there's a body of water there. There's some kind of water, enough water where someone can go down into the water. Now, the only mode of water baptism taught in the New Testament is immersion. So in answering, we're going to come back to this here in, in a few minutes too. Uh, in, in answering this question, what is baptism? We not only need to note the mode, which is immersion, but we also need to examine the meaning. What is the meaning of water baptism? When a person is baptized into water by immersion, what is its significance? All right, its significance, first of all, because it illustrates a spiritual reality. It's significant, first of all, because it illustrates a spiritual reality. Uh, turn in your Bibles to Romans chapter 6. I want you to look at this passage. Romans 6, verses 3 through 5. Romans 6, verses 3 through 5. Or you do not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus have been baptized into his death. Therefore, we've been buried with him through baptism into death, so that as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, so we too might walk in the newness of life. For we have become united with him in the likeness of his death, certainly we shall also be in likeness, in the likeness of his resurrection. So you see here, the death, verse 5, look at the very, verse 3, the very end of verse 3, death, um, first sentence of verse 4, the burial, see, they, therefore we have been buried. And then you see at the end of verse 5, resurrection, the death, burial, and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. And, and the, the baptism that's spoken of here is a dry baptism, it's spiritual baptism. And, and yes, the, the, these, these verses, or, or yet these verses show how physical water baptism illustrates the ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ, why he came. All right? The death, the burial under the water, and the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. Baptism by immersion illustrates these things. And that's what Paul is trying to get across here when he's speaking about them being baptized into Christ. That's what happens. Be as kind as I can here. Sprinkling does not illustrate the death, burial, and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. In no way, shape, or form. I, I, I say this too. When... When Jesus died on the cross, we talk about the blood of Jesus, right? That, that we we're saved by the blood of the Lamb. Let me ask this question. Would it have been enough for us, to, they didn't have him back then, but let's say they took a syringe and they took some blood out of Jesus and then they emptied it out and they sprinkled it on the cross. Would that have been enough to save us from our sin? No, because... His blood represents, this is in Deuteronomy Leviticus, his blood represented his life was taken from him. The sprinkling of blood would not have saved us from our sin. He had to die. All of him. Right? Not just a little bit of blood. Um, so that water baptism is the physical illustration of a spirituality. The old man dying and being buried and then us being raised to new life. Well, not only do we see the meaning of water baptism illustrates a spiritual reality, but also it serves as a public profession or a commitment to Christ. When John the Baptizer, of course those who come from Baptist backgrounds, like John the Baptist, you know, he was a member of the first Baptist church of Jerusalem. No. Actually John the Baptizer, all right, it was what is an act that he did, and he was known for that, came on the scene baptizing people. It wasn't the first time people had witnessed baptisms. Well, listen to this. It's important. When John came on the scene baptism, this was not new to people as far as the act of baptism. These people in John's day would have been very familiar with what was called Jewish proselyte baptisms. So what did they look like? What did a Jewish proselyte baptism look like? First of all, there was this three-step process for a Gentile to be converted to a Jew. And it's interesting that we read all in the province of God, Acts 15, where we see this open acceptance of the Gentiles in the church. And here we are talking about proselyte baptism. So before that, they all believe, okay, if you're going to become a good Jew, you first of all, you had to be circumcised. I don't know how many adults signed up for that one, but they had to be immersed in water, in water to demonstrate that they were dead to their old life 
And thirdly, they had to give a sacrifice symboling the forgiveness of sin. So one of the things, the second step was to be immersed in water to be converted to Judaism. So it's into this culture that John the baptizer walks into. And he's preaching to all these people. First of all, it was mostly Jews he was preaching to. And he's saying, you must be baptized. And they think, well, hold on, I'm a Jew. Why would I need to be baptized? But they understood exactly what he was talking about, being taken under the water. So to be baptized was a... And they would understand this was a public profession that I am no longer walking after the ways of myself or walking after my understanding of God, but I'm going to walk after the Lord Jesus Christ. It's a public profession. It, or at this time, if you're going from just a Jewish proselyte, I'm no longer going to be a pagan. I'm going to be a Jew. And you publicly renounced your paganism, because that's what a Jew would call you if you weren't a Jew, all right? Your paganism, and you were immersed in the water, part of the process, so you were publicly renouncing that in front of everyone. And, it would, and, and so when he's saying, you must be baptized again, it, this would have caused great persecution if someone decided, you know what, I'm going to walk away from Judaism. We, we think about the, the, the Muslims today and people who walk away from um, Islam, and it, they get cut off from their family. It was serious. And when someone was baptized as a Christian, they basically got cut off from their family when they did this. It was a public profession, a public commitment. And Jesus made it clear that a public profession or commitment to him was essential when he said what it says in, in Mark eight thirty four and then verse 38. And he summoned the crowd with his disciples and said to them, if anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will also be ashamed of him when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. So baptism became this initial public profession or commitment to Christ. I'm with Christ. And everybody saw that publicly. So this public profession of faith brought great persecution on early Christians. Many of them lost their life because they said, I'm in. And I'm in enough to let people know uh, that I love Christ enough to, to be baptized by, by immersion, just like even the Jews who, who did this. That they would maybe 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 somebody even was a proselyte who'd been baptized to become from a Gentile to a Jew. Now also said, "Hey, I want to trust Christ." And the initial act of obedience, public profession, was baptism. So, in answering this first question, what is baptism? We've discovered that baptism is when a person is immersed into water to illustrate their new life in Christ and to make an initial public profession of their commitment to Christ. That's what baptism is. So let's look at the second question. Why be baptized? So, of course, to, to, to answer this um, question, why be baptized, um, the, the first an answer to that question is it was modeled by Christ. Why be baptized? It was modeled by Christ. Jesus, God the Son, the perfect in essence, humbled himself and was immersed in water by John the baptizer. Jesus did this. And we're called to follow his example. Did Jesus need to be changed from the inside out? No. But he did this. Since to fulfill all righteousness was part of the reason um, that he would be baptized so that we would follow him in baptism. To follow his example. To show that what we would do. Jesus knew temptation like we do, right? He knew all things like we do, except he didn't know sin. And he wanted us to follow this example of him being baptized. Secondly, why be baptized? It was commanded by Christ. You know, that ought to be enough. <laughs> right there, right? Those are this very familiar passage in Matthew 28, 19, and 20. Go therefore, make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to deserve all that I have commanded you, and I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Jesus commands the apostles to make, make disciples baptize and teach these disciples to obey everything Jesus said. Notice that baptizing them is set apart from teaching them to observe all that I command you. Notice that. It's not teaching them all I commanded you. And one of those things is baptism. It actually says baptism and it emphasizes baptism. That they, they baptize first. First. And then teach them all that I've commanded you. Is it a, is it, is it a command? Yes. I was teaching everything I command you, commands, yes. But it, the, for some reason, God, by the Holy Spirit, inspired Matthew to make sure that baptism and teaching all I commanded were both mentioned to emphasize the importance of baptism. 
the, the first thing that, uh, or, or um, t- t- another thing to ask, I guess, is did the apostles obey Jesus in this, or did they, they just look at this? Well, you know, baptism is just an option for Christians. What do you think they did? What do you think the apostles, they got this command first. It's passed down to all of us who are believers. What do you think they did? What were their actions to see that they follow what Jesus asked them to do? Well, when you go read the book of Acts, and we're reading through the book of Acts, and I encourage you to do that. You can check me up on this. Always be a Berean. Always examine the scriptures daily to see if what I have to say is true. That's what they did with Paul. So if they did it with Paul, you better do it with me. All right? Examine the scriptures daily. Uh, Be a Berean. Look at uh, what the scriptures say. But when you go and look at the book of Acts, you will find out that the apostles took Jesus' command about baptism very seriously because... They baptize all who place their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. They took it serious. And it's clear to see the biblical mode and command given by Jesus and his apostles was that all believers be baptized. And in fact, F.F. F. Bruce says in his commentary on the book of Acts, the idea of an unbaptized Christian is simply not entertained in the New Testament. It's not a personal choice, but a divine command. That's pretty serious. And he's just summarizing what we see in the New Testament. Jesus' command and the apostles carrying out the command. Well, have we sufficiently answered our question, why be baptized? Maybe there's more we could say. But I think we've answered it pretty clearly. Maybe not completely, but clearly why be baptized. Um, The bottom line is that those who have repented and placed their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ alone are to be baptized because God said so. That ought to be enough. Just because the Lord Jesus Christ said to do it, we ought to say, I'm in. Whatever you say. I mean, I just so appreciate. I've seen new believers. I've seen people come to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ here in our body. And, and I love to talk with them. Uh, um, uh, and actually, one, one couple's moved now to Houston. And one, I'll just tell you the guy's first name, Rick. And Rick came to know the Lord and, and just it changed his life. And, and I remember him just having discussion about me. He said, well, if that's what the Bible says, then I'm in. I mean, there's no, well, you know, I'm not kind of sure about that. It kind of cramps my style a little bit. Let me, let me study this a little bit more. Sometimes that's an excuse rather than just clear, right? And he said, well, okay, I'm in. There's another guy in our body that's still a part of our body. And I just appreciate his, his humbleness. And he, he came to the Lord about two years ago, I think it is now. And he just, is that what the Bible, okay, I'm good. God said that, I'm in. And we all ought to be that way. But if we're honest, we're not all that way, are we? And all of us in different areas of our life. We're, we won't just, because God said it, we're, we're like, okay, I'm in. But that's the way we need to be. It's an issue of obedience. So why is it there are many professing Christians that have not been baptized after they've placed their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ? Well, why is that? There are people who have professed to be followers of the Lord Jesus Christ but have not been baptized. Uh, let me give you a few reasons that, that, that are true. They're not all the reasons, I'm sure. But so for the first reason, maybe some people have not been baptized who have placed their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, or at least professed that, is they, they don't know what the Bible teaches about baptism. And I'll grant you that's a true reality. Many people don't know what the Bible teaches about baptism, so they don't even know that they're supposed to be baptized. But, but, but if somebody would teach them, they would be like, I'm in. But I just don't know. That's one reason. Another one is pride. And it's a big reason. Some people have come to faith, maybe they were 10 or 12 years old, or, or whatever time, and they've walked with the Lord for many, many years, and then they come to this reality, oh my goodness, the Bible teaches that everyone who trusts in the Lord Jesus Christ is to be baptized. And I didn't do that after I became a Christian. And it would be embarrassing for me to stand up in front of everybody and be baptized. I mean, they know I've been a Christian for 20 years. I mean, how embarrassing would it be for me to be baptized after being a Christian for all this time? You think some people are like that? I know they are because that's my story. I got baptized when I was third grade. I didn't know the Lord. I was playing a game. I knew all the answers, but I didn't know the Lord. Third grade. And then I walked all this time since third grade until I was getting ready to be, well, until I was 27 years old. Walk with the Lord. And a lot of this was pride, and I knew it. And my sweet wife, Johnelle, she was talking about, we were talking about baptism. And she was saying, I, about Scripture teaches that, you know, I, I've never been baptized since I became a Christian. And since I really trust in the Lord Jesus Christ as a 16-year-old, I've never done that. And I want to do that. And I said, well, that's great. And she says, well, you haven't done it either, have you? And I said, no, I haven't. 
And man, it just humbled me. And I said, Lord, it doesn't matter what people think, does it? I want to obey you. And I would believe, I, I believe this. If I didn't do that, I would not be fit to be your pastor right now. I would not be qualified to stand here and, and teach the word of God to shepherd the people here at Grace Bible Church or anywhere. I'm going to be unqualified. And my wife and when we were baptized, um, both of us, in obedience to the Lord's command. So I know about pride because I had it. I've got pride still today, but I had pride on this issue, all right, for a long time. Uh, possibly, there are also another reason. Some people are just unregenerate, meaning they've never been born again. They're not Christians. All they, they claim to be, they don't want to obey God in this area and make a public profession of the Lord Jesus, of Christ. They know the truth. Oh, yes, I see that baptism says this, but I'm not going to do it. And I'm not saying they are without Christ. I'm just saying they may be. Maybe there's never been a change in their heart. Because people whose hearts have been changed by the Lord Jesus Christ, they want to obey. Do we always obey? No. But there's a desire to obey. And if there's no desire to obey, at least the question should come up, wow, do you really know the Lord? Have you been born again? So those who obey the command to be baptized show a heart that wants to honor God. It gives evidence of the life of Christ in them. No excuses. We are commanded to obey the Lord and be baptized. And this is the answer to the question, why be baptized? So third question, right? Who is to be baptized? Who are the subjects or people who are to obey the Lord and be baptized? The simple answer to this question is that Christians are to be baptized. So what's it mean to be a Christian? How has somebody become a Christian? And this is a review. What's the gospel? Right? We have this amazing God who is holy, who is perfect, and he created everything. It says in the beginning that God created the heavens and the earth. And you just had this beautiful story of him creating everything. Things that we haven't even seen yet. We're discovering things that he created, and I think we'll keep discovering things he created. And be amazed at how awesome he is. And he's also holy. And he created, says, people... The, the crown of his creation to glorify him, to make much of him. That's why he created people from all nations to glorify him. Says that, he says in Psalms, I created them for my glory. But what does it say in, what does it say in, in, in Romans 3.23? That all sin and fall short of the glory of God. We don't do what he created us to do, which is to glorify him, to make much of him. God, you're awesome. It's about you. We don't do that. So the sin separates us from God. So God's standard is holiness. He calls us to glorify him. And, and man's problem is we're sinful and we're separated from God. We don't want to glorify God. You go all over the scripture and see that and you also see it in your own heart without Christ. You can see it in our kids that don't know Christ, right? They want to disobey. They don't want to glorify God. That's a problem, isn't it? That's man's problem. But listen to God's provision. God's provision is that he loved us so much, even in our sin, even while we were dead in our trespasses and sin, it says in Ephesians 2. That he sent his son to die in our place. Because it says the wages of sin, the payment for sin, for not glorifying God with our life, is death, eternal separation from God. And Jesus came. We couldn't pay that debt. We could not do it. Jesus came. He died on the cross, was buried. He rose again to conquer sin and death for us. God's provision was his own son. So our pay, the payment of our sin would be paid. So what's our response to that? The scripture says that we repent. Now, let me help you understand the word repent. It doesn't mean we do works of righteousness to earn God's favor. We turn from trusting ourselves and the deceitfulness of sin. We, we turn from trusting ourselves and we turn and we trust in Jesus Christ for what he did, not for what we did. So repentance and faith are the sides of one coin. They're not two different things. They go together. You can't, you can't trust in Christ and, and keep trusting in yourself. Right? So you turn from this and you trust in Christ. That's how someone becomes a Christian. And the Bible says that everyone who does that, that placed their faith in what Christ did for them, is to be baptized. That's who to be, ba is to be baptized. Christians are to be baptized. Now, let me, um, let me address one other thing here. Notice that it's, that it's not included in how one is born again. Baptism is not how we're born again. I want to make that completely clear. We're not born again through the waters of baptism. It, it, it doesn't bring about new birth. It doesn't forgive sins. It doesn't give us the Holy Spirit. It doesn't bring regeneration. All right, that's, that's bad, And that's what people would term baptismal regeneration. That is not taught in the New Testament anywhere. Now, some people try to use Acts 2.38 to prove otherwise. And I have dealt with this verse other times when I've taught on baptism. And both times I, I looked into the Greek grammar 
just looking at the grammar and showed you how that, that didn't teach that, that you're, you, you've got to be baptized to have your sins forgiven or be made right with God uh, in, in the sense of being justified before God. Um, and, and if it did, it would clearly contradict what the rest of the New Testament says, summarized by Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, not by works, it's a gift of God, not as a result of works that no one may boast. It's not by works, it's not by doing an act that we are saved, that we are made right with God. It's by God's grace and us putting our faith in what Christ did. But after doing more and more studying on this passage, I, I, I still believe that the Greek grammar does have merit in, in, in Acts 2.38 to show that it's not teaching baptismal regeneration. But I think there's something even more important. That's the context. You don't have to know Greek to understand Acts 2.38 and understand it does not teach that we are saved through baptism, that we're made right with God through the act of baptism. All right, look at me. Turn to Acts 2.38. All right, turn there. Or flip there on your phone or eye device or tablet, whatever you got there. But look at 2.38. All right, well, first we've got to understand that these words that he speaks, and I'll read this for you. Peter said, Repent, and each one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Now, now, we've got to understand the context. We've got to understand that Peter, this is part of his sermon on the day of Pentecost, where he preached the death, burial, and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ to Jews, and that's important, who had come to Jerusalem for the Feast of Weeks celebration, for the, for the feast, of Tab, uh, feast of Pentecost. After Peter's sermon, notice the reaction of those believers in verse 37, right before verse 38. It says, now when they heard this, they were pierced to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brethren, what shall we do in response to this message that he preached? And notice what Peter's response again is. He says, Well, repent and each of you be baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Now this verse standing alone again would seem to teach that we are, our sins are forgiven through the act of baptism. And of course, again, this would contradict the rest of the New Testament. So what does it mean? The key here is to understand that we, what we learned earlier, that baptism in the name of Jesus Christ was a public profession of a commitment to follow Christ. It was a declare your allegiance to Christ and your desire to follow him. Matt Waymire, in his excellent book on baptism, probably the best book I've ever read, or the most scriptural book I've ever read on baptism, helps us understand the importance of baptism in Acts 2 uh, and the context with, with which it was written in when he writes. And it, it, was, it, was so, it was long enough that I didn't, put it up on the screen so listen carefully for this reason when peter exhorted the jews to be baptized he was commanding them to express their allegiance to christ and allegiance that was indeed a necessary response to the gospel in this way the command to be baptized incorporated the physical act of water baptism and the commitment to christ is symbolized in the context of acts 2 then an unwillingness to be baptized would expose an unwillingness to obey the gospel and become a disciple of christ it was clear we just talked about baptism they understood what baptism was right to say, you know, I, I want Jesus, but I'm going to leave the rest of this out. I really don't want that. And really when they're saying that, I really don't want Jesus. Because that was the public statement. If when my wife and I got married, and it came to the time of my dad's, uh, um, with my dad and another pastor doing this together, but I said, okay, put this ring on her finger, put this ring, hey, you know, I, I'm going to go without the ring. Now, could we still be married? Yeah, technically. But it wouldn't say much about what my desire to be married to, to John L. No, it'd, it'd say a lot about it, wouldn't it? it? Oh, we really don't have a desire. You know, I'm kind of ashamed of this. And that's kind of what it, the point is here about this, this context. They're Jewish people. Now, he, he goes on to say, um, suppose there were three men standing together in a crowd on the day of Pentecost. In response to Peter's exhortation to repent and be baptized, the first man says, I repent and believe in Christ. And he truly does. So he gets in line and he's baptized. This man is forgiven and receives a gift of the Holy Spirit. The second man says, I repent and I believe in Christ. And he also truly does. While he's in line to be baptized, however, he has a heart attack and he dies. Is this man forgiven? Did he receive the gift of the Holy Spirit before he died? Yes, absolutely, because conversion is ultimately a matter of the heart. Don't miss that. He truly repented and believed, and therefore he was truly forgiven. But the third man, these are the Jewish people standing in line, says, I repent and believe in Christ. Yet when it comes to time to be baptized, he refused to publicly declare his allegiance to Christ. Is this man forgiven? Did this man receive the gift of the Holy Spirit? 
No, because his refusal to be baptized in the name of Jesus reveals an unrepentant heart that is unwilling to believe in Christ and become his disciple. To refuse baptism was then to refuse Christ. This would be the understanding of the context. So we see that in this context, baptism was a test to see if the Jews were really willing to repent and trust in Christ and declare their allegiance to him. Therefore, listen to this very closely, in Acts 2, baptism does not produce salvation, it proves it. In Acts 2, the context, you've got to understand who, again, this is the Jews and what they would have understood. It does not produce salvation, it proves it. It's act to say, I'm in. I'm all in. Not only does the context of Acts 2 show that baptism doesn't bring about the new birth, but the rest of Acts in the New Testament show that baptism is to follow, is to follow repentance and faith in Christ. It's to follow. It doesn't make someone saved. Right? It doesn't bring new birth. I'm just going to give you a few examples. In, in Acts 3.19 in Peter's second sermon, therefore repent and return so that your sins may be wiped away. All right? Acts 5.31, he says, And the one whom God exalted to, to his right hand as a prince and savior to grant repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. He's preaching again. And then in Acts 16, verse 30 and 31, And after he brought them out, he said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? They said, Believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved, you and your household. So we see that they have to believe first, to trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, then be baptized. And we see this all over the New Testament. Uh, There's also, we see that there was people who were truly born again, all right, who had not been baptized immediately after trusting in Christ. And you see this in Acts 10, and Gentiles in Caesarea. They were responding positively to the message of the Lord Jesus Christ, but they had not been baptized yet. They heard about it, and they said, we want to respond to that, but nobody had come along and said, okay, now you, you, you must be baptized. So in Acts 10, verses 47 to 48, um, uh, you can flip there with me if you'd like. Here's what, it, here's what we see recorded. Verses 47 through 48 of Acts 10. Surely no one can refuse the water for these to be baptized who have received the Holy Spirit just as we did, can he? See, when did they receive the Holy Spirit? Before or after baptism or daring? Which one? Before. They were already born again. Okay? And he ordered them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Then they asked him to stay on for a few days. They were obviously Christians. They were first Christians, then they were baptized. This is the order of... Um, uh, this presented of salvation throughout the scripture. You hear the message, you repent and believe, then you're baptized. So who's to be baptized? The New Testament clearly teaches that the bab- bab- baptism is only for those who have consciously repented and placed their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. It's only for those people. The New Testament never presents those who are not believers that are ever baptized. Let me say that again. A non-believer in the New Testament, you never see a non-believer in the Lord Jesus Christ baptized. Now, I understand that some of you may fit in that category. I, I used to fit in that category. And those of you who grew up in a tradition that baptized inf- infants, I'm sensitive to where you're coming from. I'm sensitive to what your parents were trying to do. Uh, many of you may have been baptized, again, as an infant, and your parents were do- truly doing what they believed was right. They were do- their heart was right. It's, this is what I think is right. Somebody told me I'm supposed to do this, and I'm doing it because I want the best for my kid. And I don't, want to, I don't want to say, hey, that's awful. Your parents did that for you. Not at all. Praise God, you had parents that cared, right? And I'm glad they cared. I'm glad they cared to do that because they thought that was the right thing to do. But some traditions in infant baptism believe in what's called baptismal regeneration. That when the infant is baptized, that they are forgiven of their sin. The only problem with that is you'll never find that in the scripture. Anywhere. That you just don't find it. That's a problem. And some children grow up and they understand, I was baptized as an infant. I'm right with God. And they're not. And they go into eternity without God. Because they believe they were right with God because they were sprinkled as an infant. That's not what the Bible teaches. It doesn't save an infant. They must personally trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what the New Testament says. Others came from another tradition where your parents had baptized believing you were placing you into the covenant community. This tradition, however, also believes when that person gets older, that they must, just like we believe, they must turn from trusting themselves and turn and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. And we believe the same thing. How someone say they place their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, they're not saved as an infant, but they believe that you're placed in this covenant community. And, uh, and, and, and although we agree with their understanding of salvation, we differ in baptism. And, and, and I understand, again, that thought process. Um, but uh, the scripture doesn't teach it. That's the problem. Uh, and, and they base it usually on two things, probably some more. I'm just going to 
simplifying this, they first based it on the, the, the old covenant had the circumcision, the new covenant had baptism, and those are equated as the same thing. Old covenant sign, new covenant sign. But it doesn't ever connect the two in Scripture clearly to say that that's, they're exactly parallel. There's some similarities, but not exactly parallel. So let me give you this verse in Colossians 2, 11 through 12. It's often referred to in support of circumcision and baptism being equated. And in him you were also circumcision with the circumcision, circumcised with the circumcision made without hands in the removal of the body of flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism in which you were also raised up with him through faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. Now notice these verses say nothing about baptism replacing circumcision. In fact, also notice this circumcision spoken, circumcision spoken of here has nothing to do with physical circumcision. It says circumcision of the heart. It's talking about new birth inside, not a physical circumcision. Also notice in verse 12, Paul introduces through what? Faith. You're made right with God through faith, not circumcision. It's through faith. Uh, John Piper rightly says of this, if baptism were merely a parallel of Old Testament circumcision, it would not have, have to happen through faith, since infants did not take on circumcision through faith. In the Old Covenant, no infant placed their faith in God when they were infants. They didn't have the ability to do so. In the same way, no infant can place their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ when they're baptized. They don't have the ability to do so. Uh, are there some similarities between circumcision and baptism? Yes, but they're not equated. I think Wayne Grudem does a great job helping us understand this. The Old Covenant had a physical external means of entrance into the covenant community. One became a Jew by being born of Jewish parents. Therefore, all Jewish males were circumcised. Circumcision was not restricted to people who had true spiritual inward life, but rather given to all who lived among the people of Israel, also slaves who weren't even Jews, could be circumcised. Had nothing to do with what was going on. And just understand, all physical males, how about the women? How about the women? They weren't circumcised either. All right? So there's a clear breakdown between a correlation between baptism and circumcision. Uh, Grudem goes on to say, the New Testament does not talk about a covenant community made up of believers and their unbelieving children and relatives and servants who happen to live among them. In the New Testament church, the only question that matters is whether one is saving faith and is spiritually incorporated in the body of Christ, the true church. This means of, the means of interest into the church is voluntary, spiritual, and internal, not external. So equating circumcision and baptism does not hold up to the scrutiny of Scripture. There is no biblical evidence or command of infant baptism. Let me say that again. There's no scriptural evidence or command of, of infant baptism. And if there is, I'll eat the page. If you can find it, you show it to me and I will eat the page. I think I'm going to go hungry. Because it's not there. It's not in scripture. And, and, and some of the pe- people saying, well, how about they were baptized them in their household? I'll give you the passages. Acts 10, 1 through 48. Acts 16, 14 through 15. Acts 16, 31 through 34. And Acts 18, 8. However, when you study those passages in context you see that those who were baptized were those who heard and believed those who are the ones who are part of the household that were saved an infant cannot believe so you go look at the context it does not teach that um, scholars from the covenant infant baptism tradition agree that the bible does not teach infant baptism listen to this these are scholars from that tradition Louis Burkhoff reformed theologian extraordinaire who I love to read his stuff is tremendous. But look what he says. It says the New Testament contains no direct evidence of infant baptism in the days of the apostles. This is Louis Burkhoff who, who believes in covenant community and infant baptism. He says it's not in the scripture. A Lutheran professor named Kurt Alon, who I also like to enjoy reading, after intensive study of the infant baptism, says this. There is no definite proof of the practice until after the third century. And he says this cannot be contested. And then a Catholic uh, professor of theology says this, the controversy has shown that it is not possible to bring an absolute proof of infant baptism by basing one's argument on the Bible. Then what do you base your argument on if you don't base it on the Bible? The bottom line is that infant baptism is not taught in Scripture. Then why do so many people who believe in the inerrancy and sufficiency of Scripture, like we do, salvation by grace through faith alone, why do they practice infant baptism? I I, I don't have time. I've got more notes than than I should. All right. Um, but let me just quickly explain this to you, not go in super detail. And you can go read about this. This is history. Back in the 4th century, all right, it means the 300s, okay, 325 
A.D., there's a guy named Constantine, right? And we have, there's actually a city named after him, Constantinople. And he was the Roman uh, emperor, all right, and directed the Roman Empire. And at this time, the cat, he, he had some kind, we don't know for sure, he had some kind of conversion experience. We, I don't know his heart, we don't know for sure he became a Christian. But he had a tremendous influence because he at least claimed to be a Christian. And then the Holy Roman, the Holy Roman Church came under Constantine, under the Roman Empire. Now he had the church and the state were the same. All right, so, what's, so, so what was happening is that one of the ways to help control the people, all right, and get them into the church was baptism. What's the best way to do that? Baptize infants. And you can go read about this. Even as the one, professor, one person said, who said they believe that they, they, there was, there's no evidence till, the, till, till after the third century. During the fourth century is when there's evidence of infant baptism. Before that, there's no evidence in history of infant baptism. Even some old, old Catholic churches that they have found, discovered in archaeology and all those kind of things, they had pools. Why do you need a huge pool that's this deep to sprinkle somebody with? That wasn't practiced until up to this time. So you can go read about that. I don't have time to go on that. So you're saying, okay, well, that was, that was in the Roman Catholic Church. How about the Reformers? Where the, 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 the Reformers in the 1500, they came out of, much of the, came out of the, the Roman Catholic Church, and they had been practicing infant baptism just like everybody else had been for since the 4th century. And um, yet they, they also married the church and state. They did. And what did they do? They baptized infants because that was the way that they had been taught, right, to, to bring the church and state together. And everybody's now underneath the authority of the church. Okay? But the problem, again, is it's nowhere taught in Scripture. That's tradition. So which one's more important, tradition or Scripture? Scripture. And you can go read about that. I, I encourage you to, to go read about that. Um, the Bible instead clearly answers our question, who is to be baptized? All those who repented and placed their faith in Christ alone. Now another question somebody may ask, who is to be, and this, who is to be baptized? How old should a person be when they get baptized? Well, if you can find the verse that says that too, oh, he did, okay? It's not in there, and that's tough. So this is just a, a matter of wisdom, of prayer, and, and just scriptural discernment. But, but I would say we know that believers are, so I would say how old? Well, when somebody can give testimony to their conversion in word and life. All right, when they can give evidence of their testimony, they can say, this is, now I have trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. He's come into me. He's, he, he's, he's my Lord and Savior. I mean, they've got a confession to that. And when they're a child, you, it's, it's tough. I mean, this is tough to, to say, you know, when, when a kid is three, hey, I, I asked Jesus into my heart. And you ask them what that means, they couldn't tell you from Adam what that meant. They just know they did, and it was important. Well, yeah, but I'd be real careful there. Now, some people at five years old can give you a clear testimony of their conversion. It's amazing. But some of us took a lot longer to get there. All right? So I, yes, that's a tough question, and I'm not going to give you a, an answer because the Scripture doesn't give you a blanket answer. I would just say that the Scripture does teach they need to give a clear testimony of their conversion, of how they came to know the Lord Jesus Christ. So how are we going to respond to this today? Now, some of you may be mad at me, and I'm sorry. I wasn't trying to offend anyway. Or wasn't, but, but, but I've got to stand before God one day and say, God, I was faithful to your word. And I think it's clear. And I will say this, and I've preached on this in other times here in the last almost 12 years I've been here now. This is what I've seen. I've seen the people of grace respond with humility. And I've baptized a lot of adults who were baptized as an infant because they clearly saw the scripture taught this. I've also baptized a lot of adults that were like me who knew that you're supposed to be baptized by immersion as a believer, but they were baptized and they never really knew the Lord. And they said, I, I, I never really knew the Lord. I wasn't baptized after I became a believer. I was baptized before I became a believer. Not only did I baptize, we let other people baptize. And there's not, I don't have a special touch on the baptism, right? I mean, we other people baptize here at Grace Bible Church, but we baptized a lot of people like that. And man, I love that. I love the humility and the desire of the people of grace that want to respond to God's word, even when it's tough. And I can relate to you. It's tough. All right, so how are you going to respond today? If you've never turned from trusting yourself and trusting the Lord Jesus Christ, that's the first thing that needs to happen. You need to trust the Lord Jesus Christ and be made right with God. And then after that, you need to follow through with baptism. If you've been born again and you've not obeyed the Lord, in being baptized, I urge, urge you to obey the Lord ASAP. Why should we be baptized? Because he said so. That's enough. 
But we're having a baptism service on December 7th. And listen to this. Those who've been around here, we're going to have it right here in this building. First time ever. We've arranged for a big tub, all right, to come in here, all right? And we're going to make sure we protect all the stuff. Don't worry about the electronics and stuff. We'll make sure we protect it. And we're going to have it. Actually, we usually have had it at swimming pools. We've had it at other church baptismals. We also had it at the beach um, one time. So we're going to do it right here, first time ever. I'm excited about that, aren't you? Right here in our building together. And a lot of times we have to do it at different times and everybody can't come. Well, let's all commit to be here December 7th and celebrate people who are going to respond in obedience to the Lord Jesus Christ and, and be baptized. That's exciting to me. I hope it is. I may be the only one here, but I'm going to be here excited, okay? So I want you to let me know. If you want to be baptized, if you have trust in the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior, turn from trusting yourself and trusted in Him to make you right with God, and you want to be baptized in obedience to Him, because that's what Christians do, right? You come and see me, and let's get this done. Let's do this in obedience to him and, and honor the Lord through this. I mean, if you've got more questions about baptism, you're saying, you know, Brian, I, I still don't agree with you. I've still got some more questions. Hey, that's okay. I want you to be convinced in your own heart. I want you to be a Berean. And let's sit down with the word of God and let's go through and let's try to answer those questions and, 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 and get this thing right. All right, let's pray. Lord, thank you so much. Lord, I know this is a little longer than usual, but Lord, it, this, is, this is important. And Lord, I pray for each of us, Lord, that we would always humbly submit to your word regardless of what we may have been taught or understood or thought, that tradition would not rule, but your word would rule in our hearts, and not just in baptism, but every aspect of our lives. Lord, I pray we would always be humble and be willing to be taught from your word and understand your word in a way that honors you. Lord, I pray for those who are struggling right now with the, um, maybe pride, um, may, maybe um, anger. Uh, Lord, maybe not at me, maybe... At, people who they feel that led them astray who knows what Lord I pray wherever people are in this issue Lord that you would calm their heart bring peace because of the truth of your word and through your son and Lord there's those here who have never been made right with your son Lord I pray that they would turn from trusting in themselves and trust in Jesus would help us now as we exhort you and or exalt you in, in, in song in Jesus name Amen